0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Win-Win Podcast. It has been such a packed couple of weeks. You probably saw that we launched our 100th episode by bringing back the first ever Win-Win guest, Inchella Anderson, who is Google Cloud's head of brand strategy and creative. It has been such a whirlwind celebration. I am so grateful. And as we kick off the next 100 episodes, I am really thrilled to welcome Jess Holgrave on today. Jess is the head of crypto and go-to-market strategy at Checkout.com. Checkout.com is a $40 billion payments platform that processes payments at its core, but obviously does so much more than that. I actually heard their CEO speak at Money 2020 when I interviewed May Zabane there, and at the same time, I attended a panel on crypto that featured both May and Jess. They got some really tough questions, honestly, and I was beyond impressed by the ways in which they thought about crypto and the state of the world as it pertains to money movement and our economy. Before I hand it off to the conversation, I also want to acknowledge that the startup and the world of financial services and venture capital is going through such turmoil with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank or SVB. So many people are losing jobs and the startup ecosystem is truly being shook by the events that are taking place. For those of you who may or may not know, Silicon Valley Bank has been a pioneer of the work we have done here at Women Innovation for many years. They were the startup bank as well as the innovation bank, championing for-profit companies as well as nonprofits such as Wynn. On behalf of our nonprofit, I'd like to thank the SVB team and extend a warm hand to them in this dire situation. And I am very happy that the podcast episode we are launching today is the one with Jess. She is so thoughtful in the way which she talks about the economy and how precedented everything is, which is very much proven out by the events that took place in the last week or so. So hopefully you find it educational, especially in this time. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Jess Holgrave, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here today. You have one of the more interesting trajectories that I have seen. You are currently heading up go-to-market strategy and crypto at checkout.com, an incredibly exciting payments platform in Europe and in the United States too. So I really want to hear all about your trajectory. But given how much of a newer field crypto and digital currencies are, I'd really like to understand how you've gotten into it, especially because you pivoted more from a traditional banking industry and are now at the cutting edge of payments and technology?
1: So um, interesting is definitely a good way to describe my career, which I think has been full of kind of serendipity and just opportunities that have presented themselves to me that have been too amazing to turn down. And so a lot of it has been actually not very planned, but just a sort of like Going with the flow and having these incredible chances given to me. And so, well, my first degree actually is in economics. And as part of that, I studied economic history, which sounded kind of a little bit dull at the time. But a few years later, after spending a couple of years in investment banking, I learned about Bitcoin through a friend of mine. And like these two things kind of put themselves together, right? Like this was watching monetary history evolve. In real time. And I remember reading the Bitcoin white paper and being like, oh, actually, like, this is the first time that I'm seeing something in the kind of kind of context of monetary history and monetary policy that like is, is actually like very, very different. And I had no idea about the technology at the time, but was instantly engaged by that perspective of it. I then spent a couple more years in private equity and and kind of carried on doing a little bit of investing in crypto. But, you know, like nothing crazy until it kind of began to like sit at the back of my mind that actually I was missing out by not being in this in this space. And so by the end of 2015, I left private equity and started really just thinking almost full time about crypto, about blockchain um, I wrote a master's thesis on the applications of blockchain for the art world, which again sounds like very random, but I um, have a lot of friends who are artists. I also think artists are often really at the cutting edge of exploring technology in a way that those of us, and I think everybody is an artist in some ways, but um, those of us who are not so creative, um, I think you can kind of come at it from one particular angle. And then you have all these creative minds around the table and they think about these things in such different ways. Um, and so I found it really Um inspiring, and this is kind of back in 2016, 2017, really inspiring to be around a group of artists who are working on crypto and blockchain and hearing their thoughts about it from a technology perspective, from a like social implications perspective. Um, and so that was kind of my first like deep dive. I built an NFT um kind of startup. Also built a sort of social impact project that focuses on funding girls coding programs using crypto that we've mined or or sourced by running nodes on various blockchains and a whole bunch of kind of other things in the investment space. And then eventually found myself in 2019. Having not had like a permanent job for a while because I'd been doing different entrepreneurial things and thinking, OK, have to do something, uh, you know, something concrete now. And I was missing this experience in terms of my portfolio, I think, of having worked at very big companies, having done the sort of zero to one phase of a startup, but not having seen that, like. Really rapid growth, you know, from say series B to series D. Um, and Checkout had just raised their series A at the time, um, and we're looking for a chief of staff. And this is a role that was very rare in the UK at the time. It was very popular in the US and since it's kind of become a global phenomenon um, in scale-ups and startups. But at the time, there was like maybe three chief of staff roles um, kind of being advertised in London. And Checkout was one of them. And it kind of ticked all my boxes in terms of being a fast-growing company in the fintech space with like a crypto angle. We were already working in the crypto space. An incredibly dynamic uh, CEO and founder. And a role where I felt that I was gonna have like meaningful impact and and be able to do a lot. And so it's been nearly three years now. Did two years as the chief of staff and and as you said, now kind of head up crypto strategy and go to market, which is the most fun role ever.
0: I mean your story is so fascinating in so many ways so many things i want to ask you about but it's interesting because on a personal note i actually started a foundation um, i guess about almost two years ago focused on creativity and financial literacy because i've often found that creatives shy away from all money things and you know they're you know they don't want to talk about budgeting or taxes that's something that scares them off but you specifically mentioned how blockchain and crypto was a really exciting space for the artists that you came in contact with so just personally curious do you feel like another kind of layer of this discussion about blockchain and crypto is its accessibility, not just because it's a decentralized currency, but also because it can open doors for people who may not be traditionally involved with all things, the economy or money.
1: So I definitely think that when you think about like what blockchain is and what cryptocurrency is, it has so many different facets. For artists in particular, and artists often not only don't think about the kind of financial side, but actually often they don't want to, they feel it like compromises that art. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really interesting to observe, I think, this, the, the rise of like crypto art and NFTs and how artists have engaged with that space. Because for me, it's a little bit of a Trojan horse, right? What you're presenting to them with the concept of an NFT is a different form of distribution for their artwork potentially a different audience maybe a crypto wealthy audience who wants to buy art a way of securing intellectual property as a digital asset that you've never been able to do before and as a way of kind of thinking about ownership in a different way and and i think that is really central to how art uh, is created and and thought of and the money piece kind of comes second. And so you yeah. have these artists thinking about ownership, thinking about identity, thinking about um, intellectual property. And then you say, oh, and by the way, because it's recorded on the blockchain, you can actually get royalty payments for mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And and I know royalties is a hot topic and we could probably spend like a whole mm-hmm. hour talking about it. But for me, this is like really, really at the, at the center of what um, art in the crypto space is about because... Um, When you think about the work that an artist does over the course of their career, it's their continued devotion to their practice that increases the value of their art over the long run. If an artist produces one piece and sells it and then goes and becomes an accountant, that piece is never going to kind of become a blue chip artwork. Um, And yet for decades, despite uh, a lot of laws being in place. And despite the work of some auction houses and galleries, many artists have never been able to like access the benefits that they've created over that long period of time. And again, just a, a really fascinating space and, and something that has also propelled then crypto into the mainstream too, because I think for a lot of the general public, the first time that they have ever heard about crypto, aside from maybe Bitcoin, is through this like crazy rise of NFTs.
0: For sure. And it, and it exemplified a use case that people could understand without really needing to understand the technology. And now as you hire people out at you know various levels, whether, whether that is more junior people or more senior people, how do you think about the trajectories that you look for? Or what are those elements that you look for, especially in an industry that is not like your typical get X degree, do Y job? So
1: for me, um, hiring is about three things. Number one, it's like, does this person have a core skill set? And that core skill set doesn't mean that they have done the job before and they can do it in their sleep. It's like, do they understand numbers? Can they think logically? Can they communicate well with a wide range of people? Um, You know, there are obviously then some roles that do need a very much more kind of specific skill set that you need. So, so number one, like, do they have the right skills to be able to do the job? Or if they can't demonstrate that they have the perfect skill, can you believe that they can get there? Mm -hmm. Number two is, do they actually care about this stuff? Because crypto, and there are many other industries that are similar, but I think crypto specifically moves so fast that if what you want to do is do crypto from nine to five, and then you want to do something totally different in your evenings and at the weekends, like... I actually think it's pretty hard to stay on top of it. Like, mm-hmm. And I say this as somebody who lives and breathes it, and I do try and get my downtime, but like, part of why I can stay on top of it is because at the weekend, I want to be reading about it. And in the evenings, I'm exchanging messages with my friends in the industry about interesting things that are happening. And so if you're not like deeply interested in crypto, sure, you can make a successful career of it, but like, are you going to be the person who's going to go the extra mile to make something work? Possibly not. And so I do look for like genuine interest in the subject matter. Um, It could just be a very niche thing. It could be that you love collecting NFTs, or it could be that you're interested in cryptography, or it could be that you're interested in, um, I don't know, the social impact implications of it. So it doesn't need to be that like you're just a pure crypto geek, but like, do you care about it? Um, And then finally, the thing that I look for most is like, the willingness to try and the ability to fail and get back up and try again. And that's why I actually love hiring people who maybe haven't had the most traditional um, trajectory or the people who have tried to become entrepreneurs but failed, uh, the people who've got a side hustle going on. You know, those are the people who know what it's like when times get tough and then they work through it. And they're the people that I love to have on my team.
0: It makes a lot of sense, and I think it's similar to innovation as a whole you You've been mentioning you know the challenges of crypto and staying on top of the role i I'd be remiss to not talk about how, in addition to when you're working in an industry that's consistently changing, how difficult that can be, but you're also in an industry where there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of pushback. There are a lot of, let's call it, non-believers and people that blatantly call out this industry as fraud. So talk to me about what's kept you a believer and why you believe this industry is so innovative, and how do you kind of navigate leadership when you are consistently even having to prove your worth or your legitimacy?
1: You know, it's something that that I, think, I used to think a lot about, and now I think less about. The reason I used to think a lot about it is because I genuinely was like, if I'm going to devote my life to this, I don't want to come out at the end of it looking like an idiot and looking Mm -hmm. like I had picked the wrong thing. But I also don't want, I don't want to be somebody who is doing something for the wrong reasons. Like Mm -hmm. for me, I genuinely believe in crypto because I believe in the power that it has to make our existing financial systems better, more inclusive, more accessible, and to make our financial systems work for more people than than the existing ones do. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really core belief for me. The having the ability, not that everybody should or needs to, but just having the ability to self-custody funds and to have censorship resistant assets like Bitcoin, I think is going to be so transformational for politics, for how people move around the world. And because I have this like this conviction so deep uh, in my in my heart and in my brain, it makes kind of dealing with the noise a lot easier because I know that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Now, that's like a very like deep way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. The practical way of looking at it is that like every single day somebody goes, that's crazy. You're a crypto scammer. What is happening? You know, like, mm-hmm. and and this quarter more than ever, that has been the case. And so the things that keep me going are number one, we've kind of seen these cycles come and go. Number two, every industry has bad actors in it. Crypto has maybe more than its fair share because of how, you know, how related it is to the financial system. But those are beginning to weed its way out. And so when people ask me about like the the recent um, kind of FTX scandal, my like, optimistic view is that like this is a great thing for the industry over the long run. It's highlighting the need for better corporate governance, um, because that's what the failure was. It wasn't a crypto failure. It was a corporate governance failure, and it was fraud. So it's highlighting the need for us all to be aware of corporate governance. Um, it's highlighting the need for regulators to be more sophisticated in how they think about this, because, again, this wasn't a failing of regulation. Um, and so regulators who are thinking about massive broad brush, regulate everything in crypto, regulate NFTs, Like we have to move beyond that. We have to be much more sophisticated in, mm-hmm. in terms of how we're regulating it. Um, we have to think about how we regulate centralized exchanges on and off ramps. We have to think about how we regulate the fiat crypto intersections. And then we have to think about how we regulate things like DeFi in a completely different way. So I think that this is actually going to prompt um, much more kind of nuanced discussion at the regulatory level. Um, I also think it's going to prompt a sort of like acceleration maybe of, of some of that conversation, which can only be a good thing. And I think it's also like reminding us as technologists that this technology has incredible powers of transparency and disclosure Um, And that's what we need to get back to. Um, We need to actually use this in the way that it was designed rather than trying to just like shove it behind the centralized uh, kind of business model. Um, And so it's a great reminder. And I think we've seen really interesting initiatives over the last few weeks, you know, beginning to emerge of how we can use this technology and for what it's good at, which is being really transparent.
0: Really fascinating. Thank you for that level of detail. I also really want to dive into specifically the use cases of blockchain and crypto in relation to checkout.com, which is also serving merchants, which I think is an interesting model. But before I do, I did want to ask you maybe a little bit of a cheeky question. But let's say the people turn out to be right. It's all a scam and the whole thing goes down. And Jess, you can't be in crypto anymore. What do you do next?
1: Gosh, do you know, I, I, that's such a hard question because I've never even thought of the possibility (laughs) of not doing, not doing crypto. Um, I would certainly take some time out. Social impact is really important to me, particularly financial, like literacy and, um, particularly for women. And, and as I said, I have this, um, this impact project called Shios, um, where we fund girls coding programs. Um, so I guess, if I wasn't doing crypto specifically, then I would want to be doing something that was about empowering people financially, hopefully women and underrepresented people from underrepresented backgrounds. I don't know what that would look like, but that's core to, to my mission. So I think it would be in that space.
0: Well, makes sense. And again, obviously a hypothetical question. (laughs) And um, I did want to ask about checkout.com. So again, for those who don't know, checkout.com kind of spans across a bunch of different areas, but it is um, the merchant experience. So to make sure that merchants can accept all sorts of different payments on the internet, it does cross border payments of processing payments in over 50 countries, and then additional different bits and pieces of experiences, including crypto, of course. So talk to me more about how you think that crypto and blockchain is innovating the merchant, the payment processing and payment gateway space too.
1: So Checkout at its core is a is an acquirer. As you said, we enable merchants to accept different kinds of payments, and we also enable them to push out different kinds of payments. So, for example, card payouts or bank payouts. So you can kind of think about it as moving money into and out of a business. Um, and we started off in the crypto space in 2018 with exactly that product set, fiat only, but serving the crypto industry. So we count amongst our merchants a lot of crypto exchanges on and off ramps, NFT marketplaces, gaming companies, basically anybody who wants to give access to consumers to a Web3 application or to the ability to buy crypto, but using a fiat payment method.
0: And for those who don't know, v- fiat is like the US dollar, like a, a central central currency.
1: Exactly, it's, it's non-crypto. Um, mm-hmm. And so if what you want to do as a consumer is go onto a crypto exchange and you want to buy some crypto with your debit card, you need $100 worth, that's often our bit of the technology that you're using, the piece that takes that money from your card, from your bank account, um, via the schemes, Visa, MasterCard or whoever, and gets it to the merchant in very, very kind of like basic form. There's a whole load of other things that we do around that to make that work, but but that's how you should think about checkouts, core product offering. So we've been doing that for a very long time, been selling the crypto industry for a very long time. Um, and we started to hear two things. Number one, we started to hear from the crypto industry hey, this is working really well for us, but actually there are some other features that would make it work even better. And so one of the products that we launched as a result of that feedback was a stablecoin settlement product that we launched this year that basically just allows us to settle our merchants in stablecoins. So we can settle them, the benefits kind of being that we can settle them at weekends, um, over the, you know, in the evenings, outside banking hours, which is pretty interesting in the context of payments. We've never been able to do that before. Um, it means they have access to liquidity better, and also that they have those funds when they need them in the kind of operational uh, environment that they need them in, right? They have that. The, they want to be able to work in a kind of crypto-enabled environment, and we're giving them the stablecoins to be able to do that. Um, the second thing that we heard was from our non-crypto merchants who said, hey, we see you do a lot in the crypto space. What should we be doing? Um, we're an e-commerce platform, we're a marketplace, we're you know a non-crypto fintech. Help us understand what what the implications of crypto are for our business and how we should be thinking about this as a technology. Um, And so in that regard, we've also then been doing a ton of work over the last little while. We hired this amazing guy, Mark Fernandez, who came out of Novi. A couple of our internal product team members have moved over. So we now have a really kind of incredible product team focused only on building crypto products at checkout. And those range from things like thinking about, as you said, like at the gateway, how does a a consumer pay for something with crypto if they want to? All the way through to thinking about, like, how do we just make cross-border movement of money, either like consumer payouts or business to business payouts, more efficient. All of these things are pretty nascent right now. And, you know, I think that there's a lot to happen still in the industry to make these things very scalable. It's like generalized product, kind of payments products. There's a lot to take place there that will make our existing payments infrastructure better, more scalable, more efficient, lower cost, more accessible. And so that's super exciting for us to be able to work on as well.
0: Yeah, and it's so, so many different customer problems to solve. I imagine, you know, your product team and and the work that you're doing have a lot to consider when um, it comes to prioritization touching on, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the work that you do in the impact space. And one of the things I found really exciting about your background is you've kind of really modeled this notion of you've learned something, and then you've kind of shared it with other people to make sure that they are learning with you, or that people who have otherwise would not have had the opportunity to learn about something like financial literacy or crypto, or coding, you've uh, kind of helped them get that access. So talk to me about Shios, um And really, what was your motivation for starting and where do you see it growing?
1: I think that certainly being able to share the things that I've learned as I've gone has been really important to me because that's how I've learned. I've learned from other people, um, going, going through my whole career. Um, and so it's important for me to kind of be able to give that back. And interestingly, like one of the ways that this started, one of the ways that kind of also started too, was, um, when I was first sort of building my you know my first company in the crypto space um, and thinking about like how to secure crypto asset how do you do this in a super safe way and I actually wrote myself a like beginner's guide to crypto security that was so basic from like what a good password should be to like hot and cold storage to how to think about securing private keys in other ways like and so I wrote this whole document and and it was really just like a self-learning tool for me to be able to make sure that I was keeping my personal and also like business assets secure. And I shared it with the team and they made it better. And then I shared it with some other friends and they made it better. And we eventually like put it on on GitHub so that people could just like Read it. And some of the people that I shared it with were some other women in the crypto space, one of whom had been the tug or the victim actually of a kind of big crypto hack. And so she was really instrumental in, in putting this together. And just this amazing group of women that we all used to hang out together and talk about this stuff. Super geeky. And then when, interestingly, when EOS, the blockchain, was launching. Which was one of the early proof of stake blockchains. It was this idea that like anybody could submit to become uh, a block producer. But also you had to have like some mission behind you, right? Like you weren't just you weren't supposed to just say, Oh, we're gonna be a block producer because we wanna make some money. And so we were this group of 10 women, and we said, why don't we launch a block producer? And we can use the proceeds that we make to fund girls' coding programs. And so this group of 10 of us, and we range from you know, an, an ER doctor through to a real estate investor through to me, through to a DJ, um, started started Shios. You know, really core to it was this idea that technology is important to us and um, blockchain and crypto is important to us and, and eventually started to use then the proceeds to fund girls coding programs, which we felt was a really kind of instrumental way of changing the dynamic of the industry, which is still very heavily Uh, kind of male focused. And the reason that I think that that is so important is because when we build technology, in fact, when we do anything, but particularly when we build technology, um, we are people who are building it. And therefore, it inherits the biases that we have. If we think about something only in a particular way, the way that we build that technology is going to reflect that. And so the more diverse perspectives that we have around the table when we're building technology. And it's not just gender, it's background, it's everything. But the more diverse perspectives we have, the more robust and resilient that technology will be, and the less bias it will inherently contain. And so for me, that's why having women and anybody from underrepresented backgrounds around the table when we're building technology is, is so important.
0: Absolutely. And you've seen this story play out like over and over again. I think it was like for the first year and a half of Snapchat filters being launched, they couldn't pick up darker skin shades. So clearly, there were no people that people of color building that product. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. You mentioned this group of women that came together. But you also have worked in really male dominated industries, whether that's traditional finance, and again, now crypto. So my my question is twofold. How have you interacted with men and and found allies in men that may have been super different from you and have that very different background than you in order to succeed in your career because obviously you can't just do it through all women relationships and then also how have you leaned in on women relationships whether that's colleagues mentors sponsors
1: it's it's been a really interesting thing to navigate. And I certainly don't pretend to be the only one. There's there's thousands of women who've done it and, and everybody has a different kind of story to tell from it. I do remember when I was first in investment banking, I was in a group where there were nine male MDs and one female MD. And, um, you know, and I'm sure there were various reasons behind this, but she was the, like the least inspiring. She was not at all engaging. And I remember going to her, you know, maybe a year or so in and being like, Hey, I'd love to just like grab a coffee with you and like learn about your experience. And, and she, she had no time for it at all. And I remember thinking, okay, like that's not the person that I'm going to be. I'm going to be the person who, if I can make a success of myself, I'm going to make time for other women. Um, and for people who seek out my help. And so I've tried to do that, um, and I've tried to, you know, try to mentor people when they want mentorship. Tried to be supportive of of women, um, of everybody, of course, but specifically of women who who have kind of come to me and sought out help. And I think that that kind of that struck me as being like I was I was quite surprised by that reaction, um, and it was a really good reminder to me though that. It wasn't just about like building relationships with women. It was about finding mentors in other places who could teach you other things. Um, and, and in that regard, I was incredibly lucky to have um, several mentors, both at work, but also just like people who I met um, through friends of friends. I had a um you know a friend's father who became like a real mentor to me because he was kind of inter- you know, working in the same space. And so I think like it's a good reminder to think outside the box about like who you can learn from. I also wish that podcasts and Twitter had been like <laughs> much more prevalent then, because I think right. now I learned so much just by like listening to podcasts and following people on Twitter. And, and that certainly wasn't the case back when I was starting. So I think that's always a great place for people to start today. If you don't have a specific personal mentor, you can find the people that like inspire you uh, on different forms of media. How have I navigated it? Look, I think, when you really care about something, um, people people look past your gender, people look past who you are and where you're from. And I think actually in the crypto space, that's probably more true than ever. Yes, crypto is like a little bit male, but it's actually incredibly diverse, the number of people that it attracts and the different reasons that people are attracted to it. Some it's because they love that like libertarian, anarchist mm-hmm, aspect mm-hmm. of it. For some, it's the technology. For some, it's the monetary policy whatever it is for some it's the art and so actually there is a really diverse group of people within the crypto space and so I enjoy seeking them out and learning from them and as I said I think if you really care about what you do um, that's what people latch on to and yes there are already always people who you know hone in on on the fact that you're a woman or whatever it is and the way that I tried to respond to that is actually to like call them in on it and say, okay, like, thanks for pointing that out. Like, what would you like me to answer about it? I'm super happy to answer questions about it. And if you don't have specific questions, but you're mentioning it for some other reason, like let's talk about that too, because mm-hmm. it's an mm-hmm. opportunity for us to educate people actually when they're behaving in a non-inclusive way. And um, I try, I've had I've had situations where I found it very, very hard to do so, but I try as much as I can when I observe Behaviors that are not inclusive to invite people into that conversation and to, um, you know, maybe like let them know how that how they can do things differently because most people don't have malicious intentions about these things. They just maybe don't know the impact that their words or their actions can have.
0: And I think that when you do call them out, like it's either they push back and then maybe it's a little bit of a lost cause, or maybe they wake up and they realize that they've really you know, done something, like you said, without having that malicious intent.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think it's, um, you know, I love, uh, I can't remember who I learned it from, but it would have been probably one of my uh, female mentors or somebody who inspires me, which is to say, like, let's use the word invite in or call in rather than call out. Let's ask these people to be part of the conversation that we're having, not to push them away from it and to say, like, hey, that was wrong, but to say, hey, can I share with you the impact that that had on me? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd like to have a conversation with you about it Um, because then people don't feel defensive and people can feel like it's okay to open up and to to
0: learn. And ask questions for sure. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. So on that note, before I do let you go, I'd love to ask you the question we ask all of our innovators and that is where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now one year from now and 10 years from now.
1: In a month, and a month goes very, very quickly, I think that we will hopefully be starting to hear some of the good news again. Yes, I think, you know, some of the the saga is going to continue playing out for a long time. But, you know, even over the last week, we've had some great stories about crypto, about payments, about Uh, Visa's project on stockware, um, all of these things that I think are are really exciting. And so I'm excited to see the new cycle return to, you know, real utility. In the next year, again, constrained environments and the macroeconomic environment and the crypto economic environment together create a very constrained environment for us right now, and tend to, I think, create Better, better businesses and better products because you have to really think you have to really prioritize you have to really focus and so i'm excited that in a year's time we'll be seeing new real utility we'll also be seeing some of the hypothetical utility that we've been talking about for a while either in terms of payments or identity or whatever it else whatever else it is like actually come to fruition and i think that's going to be enabled again by like great technological um, changes that are happening right now at Pace, things like ZK roll-ups and, and other layer two scaling solutions. Also the work that's being done on Lightning. I'm super excited about seeing what, where we are uh, in a year. And then I think in 10 years, I don't think anyone's going to talk about crypto anymore. And I think that's because nobody talks about the internet today. Nobody says I'm building an internet business or I work yeah, on a digital internet.
0: business. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if you said that, people would look at you like you're crazy because the internet is just like core to how businesses work today or most businesses anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's just around like how you engage with your audience or how you accept online payments. And I think that this whole notion of like crypto and blockchain is going to disappear from our like everyday language because as consumers, we will be using this technology uh, without even knowing it. We will be making payments and moving value using this technology and we won't know it. Um maybe we'll hold assets that will be nfts but we won't call them nfts anymore Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe our identity card will just exist on a blockchain i don't know like all of this stuff i think will come to fruition but i'm pretty certain that we won't be calling it crypto anymore or crypto will just become this you know back to kind of where it started which is this investable asset class but the rest of what you and i do every single day won't be about crypto
0: Sounds like a very exciting world to live in. And thank you so much, Jess, for sharing your story, sharing your point of view. I really appreciated chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by WIN, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.